Ephesians as we continue in our sermon series on the armor of God. We've been walking through uh, the end of the book of Ephesians and uh, focusing in on uh, this armor that God has given us and that Paul speaks of equipping us with. Well, in uh, March of this last year, uh, there's an article by uh, Lee Stein uh, entitled, it was in the New York Times, and it was entitled, The Empty Religions of Instagram, How Did Influencers Become Our Moral Authorities? And in this article, she writes, she says this, Many millennials who have turned their back on religious tradition because it isn't sufficiently diverse or inclusive have found alternative scripture online. Our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional uh, feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. And we've found a different kind of clergy, personal growth influencers. Uh, Women like uh, Glennon Doyle, uh, who she uh, describes a little bit in the article, uh, who offer nuns uh, like us permission, validation, and community on demand at a time when it's nearly impossible to share communion in person. We don't even have to put down our phones. What she's describing in this article, uh, many within the church have talked about for years, but it is definitely gaining steam, and it's this big word called deconstruction. All of us probably know, if you hear, hear that word, know someone who has deconstructed their faith or is deconstructing their faith, or maybe you here sit today deconstructing your faith a little bit. It's this uh, thing in which we are questioning all that we've been handed before and trying to figure out, hey, what do I do going forward? Things don't jive in my heart with this experience that I've had of the church, and so I don't know what to do with it. We're going to talk about that this morning a little bit. Now, I need to say that this is a real thing that's happening. And there are very genuine reasons for it. Now, I may challenge some of those reasons today, but that's not to dismiss them. They are very real uh, things, and they are very real challenges to the uh, to believers today. We're facing very real challenges, and it's a genuine thing uh, to enter into some form of deconstruction. But many folks take that, deconstruction and go from there and turn from maybe a more established religious institution into Instagram religions. And it seems that it's not really working. In the article, she went on to say this, I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't shilling for a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. Left-wing secular millennials may follow politics devoutly, but the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? The whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. She concludes by saying, there is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens 
might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go to church this morning. And we're going to see what does Paul have in mind for us about what it means when we encounter the difficulties of life and how we can hold on to our faith. So, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 16 is our text for this morning. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. All right. So this morning, we're going to focus on that last phrase. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So Paul's going to instruct us to hold up this shield of faith to fight back things that would come against us. He describes them as the fiery arrows of the devil. What could those possibly be in our lives? Well, certainly I think persecution and tribulation, some sort of difficulty that the world inflicts upon the church could be included in that. Uh, Satan's strategy throughout the book of Acts is to uh, scatter the church, uh, divide them, and seek to kill and destroy them, right? That's what he does. He seeks to kill and destroy. So certainly that's a part of it. But we here in the West don't often face that kind of uh, direct persecution. So does this mean that this just doesn't apply to us at all? No, I don't think so. I think there are more subtle ways in which Satan seeks to divide and kill and destroy the church in many other ways. Certainly, there's the brokenness of the world around us. Satan often uses the things in the world that are broken around us to prompt us to doubt God's faithfulness. Certainly, that can be done in the present day and seeing things, but also can be done as we look throughout history. Often, many of uh, people's uh, inclination to deconstruct their faith in our day is because people are exposing the history of the church in the way in which the church, particularly in the American context, has been complicit in evil throughout its history, right? Complicit in slavery and in racism and in a number of other terrible things. The exposure of the church's sins, past and present, can be used by Satan as arrows to disrupt our faith. Certainly there are other ways in which Satan can use to disrupt our faith. We can have intellectual doubts to our faith. Some people's deconstruction is related to intellectual doubts about the faith. Conflicts with science or or perceived conflicts with science. A mistrust of the Bible or a doubting of miracles. I think all of those are very real, but I think there are two main ways in which Satan attacks us with these fiery arrows. One is temptation to sin. Satan uses our human nature against us often, uh, not exclusively, but often some doubts about the faith, when people are doubting the faith, coincide with actually pursuing sins that they know they shouldn't be, 
but they go for it anyway. Oftentimes people will tell you, uh, you know, I'm really struggling to believe the, the authority of the scripture, but also as you investigate more and maybe have more conversations, it's also like, actually, I just want to do something that scripture tells me I shouldn't. And I actually, that's the real rub that I have. I want to do this thing and scripture tells me I shouldn't. And so I'm going to construct some sort of intellectual doubts to allow me to pursue what I want to pursue. You see, the actual fiery arrow that Satan is shooting is a temptation to sin. And then we layer on top of that some sort of doubt about the faith in order to give us a pass, in order to make our conscience feel less burdened. Because, well, if I can ignore the reality of things, if I can say, you know, the idea of a resurrection from the dead is crazy anyway, then I can probably soothe my conscience a little bit, even though it keeps pricking me, knowing that I'm pursuing something that God does not tell me is good. The other way I think Satan attacks us is by highlighting the hurts that we have experienced. Whether that's abuse in the home, in childhood, other trauma that we've experienced, or specifically hurt that we've experienced in the church. Ways in which the church has said, this is who we are, and then our experience of it has actually been very different. The church has said, we are a loving family, and then we've experienced maybe something else. We haven't experienced the loving family of the church. We've experienced disillusionment and abandonment and pain and heartache. We've confessed our sins to someone only to have them use that against us. We've been cautious to enter into relationship because we're afraid to be vulnerable. And then when we are, we're either rejected or ignored and cast off because we're too difficult or broken or hard. Satan uses this pain that we experience that's very real and genuine as a fiery arrow to destroy our faith, to push us to deconstruct. And so the question is, in light of these things that we face, all of us are facing those to some degree, what are we going to do about it? How do we actually stand firm, as Paul's telling us, in light of these things? Well, I think we have three options uh, in light of these challenges that we face. One, as we've been talking about, is to deconstruct the faith. To actually move away from the faith that has been handed down to us in the church. The other is actually the opposite route, which is to construct a fortress around the faith. To construct a, a barrier around the faith to protect it. And we're going to look at what that would look like and what that means. And I think those are two polar opposites and we want to avoid both of those, we want to actually do what Paul tells us to do, which is to hold up the shield of faith, to quench these fiery arrows. Now, all of these really are a faith position. It's just faith in something different, right? Uh, we, we actually can't avoid making faith, uh, taking faith positions, even as that article pointed out, uh, to, to move away and to be considered a nun, uh, it's kind of a sociological category for uh, those who don't uh, ascribe to a specific religious belief or institution, right? And that's the fastest growing religious identification is a nun in our culture. But a, a position of a nun is actually still a religious faith-based position, right? It's just placing faith in something else. 
not in an institutionalized religion, but in something else. Because faith is simply a trust or a belief. It's always based on something. See, nuns don't have the corner on basing decisions on facts. Christianity is actually based upon facts and held to things, right? But it is a faith position, just as none is a faith position. So, we're going to kind of walk through these two paths, deconstructing the faith and building a fortress around the faith, and then we're going to land on what it means to hold up the shield of faith. Now, as we talk about deconstructing the faith, it is important to say that this is not a monolithic experience. As I describe this, everyone's journey is actually very different. And you may be in the midst of some process in the midst of that, and that's okay. You're allowed to be in process here and in journey here at this church. We're going to declare for you what God tells you, and we're going to love you and walk alongside you wherever you're at in the midst of that. So each person's journey is unique and valid. Now, it may not be the best path, And we might tell you that it's not the best path, but that's not to dismiss that you're on that path and say that that's not a real or genuine experience. Well, we can talk through these difficult things. Also, we need to say that there is some level of deconstruction that is really valid and true and should be for all of us. We actually all come to this place in the church with, uh, like, the, the church is a group of sinners, right? who create a culture together, some of that is going to be either extra biblical or against what the Bible would say, just because of the nature of who we are and what we're doing, which means as that's exposed for us, we should deconstruct that, take it away, and return to who Jesus is, right? And so that is valid. Now, where we get astray is when we actually decide to do away with the church Completely. Many people decide in the midst of pain or brokenness or whatever path they're on to do away with the church completely because it's actually easier to stick with some version of Jesus because God's people are messy, right? It's actually way easier to be like, well, you know, I just hang out with Jesus because the church is kind of a wreck because God's people are messy and sinful And to be vulnerable and committed to a group of people is just too difficult. Another way in which we deconstruct is to do away with the law and commandments. Just to do away with any command or demand that God would have on my life. Now, we actually don't do that super consistently if we actually look at it, right? Some ethics are super critical and are used to judge the church. So we take some ethics from within the Christian faith and apply that to the church to judge it, but we don't actually apply that to ourselves, right? Because that's way easier. And that's part of this whole thing is we get to pick and choose what we want to do with it. So we get to take some commandments of Jesus about justice and apply that to the church and say, look at where you're missing this, but not actually look internally to say, hey, am I missing this too? Like, does me posting about justice on Instagram actually accomplish justice at all? Like, am I doing any of the things that I am criticizing others for? And where do I get that ethic of justice? Is it connected to anything, or do I just pull it out of the universe? 
Like, is it connected to a person who will bring justice in the end? And if that is true, and it is connected to a person who will bring justice in the end, and he actually rose from the dead, then everything he says is pretty important. Not just the pieces that I want to hold on to. But it's easier to just do away with it and pick and choose. Part of deconstruction, deconstruction, though, is embracing some level of mystery and spirituality, as we have seen. Because we are created in God's image, we understand that there is something in the universe outside of ourselves. And so, in the absence of uh, religious institutions, we are not anti-spiritual. We're actually creating all sorts of new things all the time. Creating new levels of influence for people because we want to, we're drawn to mystery. We're drawn to spirituality. Ultimately, it might lead to a faith in myself or a faith maybe in science. Now, looking at big picture things, right? uh, We have a big picture faith in science, but we don't actually understand what that means often, right? We don't actually question the faith assumptions that that big picture view might take. We take, we take for granted this idea that science has debunked religion without actually investigating the ways in which science and faith go together. The ways in which those who uh, pursue science often, many of them, pursue it based upon uh, an understanding of the universe being governed by something. Because how can you study and pursue something without this idea that the universe is governed by something, right? And so to investigate the created order. But it's easier just to believe that science has debunked religion, so I don't have to mess with that anymore, and that progress in religion and technology is good, so we, or I mean, sorry, progress in technology and science is good, so we can solve all of our problems, and we need to leave religion behind. Well, as the pandemic has shown us, we can't. We're super vulnerable and very fragile creatures. All the progress in technology is good, and we're able to actually move forward because of it. And we thank God for things like vaccines that were incredibly created and really well done, right? We thank God for that, and it's really amazing. And yet also, at the same time, we recognize we're very vulnerable, We're very vulnerable. And so we need to remember and ask these big picture questions of life. At the end of the day, we're still humans trying to figure out how to be loved and love one another. That those universal questions actually still remain no matter how much progress we have. There's a, uh, uh, this, this faith sometimes expresses itself in deconstruction in a faith in some form of spirituality, as we talked about, whether that's astrology or sociology, right? Like some uh, level of spirituality that we're going to place on things like the Enneagram, right? Like we're actually placing faith in this is, this describes who I am. Now, I am not against the Enneagram. I always have to say that because people love that thing, right? I'm not against that. That's good. But we shouldn't place our faith in helping it determine who we are. Astrology is incredibly on the rise. Instagram 
uses these spiritual influencers, right, who are making good money off of us listening to them, which is a little ironic, right? Because some criticism of religion has to do with, you know, religious leaders being paid to tell you things, right? So instead, we'll just allow other people to be paid for telling us things, right? It's the same thing. We just choose it to be in a different place. Sometimes that deconstruction can lead, instead of a faith in uh, spirituality or in self, to a faith in society. That politics or activism can create this utopia place for us. And that functions as a faith that we define ourselves by. Where does all of this lead? Where does this deconstruction for us lead? Well, it ultimately leads to an elevation of ourselves. We become the determiner of our own reality, right? It's interesting and ironic that deconstructing our faith can often lead people into the same hyper-individualism that caused the problems they had with the church in the first place. That they are the determiner of themselves, right? It can lead to this elevation of self It can lead to a license to allow you to do whatever you determine is best and ultimately can lead to an emptiness. A pursuit of mystery without the wonder of God. A search endlessly without ever discovering something. Being connected in the world through social media without feeling real connection and having freedom without purpose. And ultimately it can lead to a sort of new fundamentalism that you can't, you have to hold on to this thing that you've determined for yourself and it can't be questioned because to question it is to question who you are, which is really what fundamentalism has always done. It's just a new version of it. So that's sort of one path that we can choose. The other path is the opposite, constructing a fortress around the faith. And this is good classic fundamentalism, Right? Constructing a fortress around the face, fundamentalism to protect the onslaught of secularism. This is creating faith that in the, in the face of all of the things that Satan would bring at us, in the face of all of the challenges that the world and the culture bring at us, we're going to construct a fortress that will protect us. We're going to have a faith in religion. We're going to have a faith in rules. Just obey these rules and you'll be fine. If you could just follow the path, just obey the rules, this is very clear. Here are the insiders, here are the outsiders. Again, right? It's just a lot less messy. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Let's construct a fortress around it, right? That allows us to, if we construct a fortress, then we don't have to actually deal with any of the hard questions that deconstruction asks us. We can just reject history. We can reject science. We can reject society. We can reject people. We can reject all those things because we have a fortress. We're okay on the inside. We don't have to deal with those questions. You've experienced some hard things. Just stuff it down. Don't talk about it, right? Just throw it over the wall of the fortress and we'll be fine. Ultimately though, where does that lead us? Ultimately, that leads us to a rejection of ourselves, right? It ultimately leads to a, if, if the deconstruction route 
ultimately leads to an elevation of self. The fundamentalism route, the fortress route, leads to a hating of self. Because we're never actually good enough. We're never actually good enough to feel like we should be on the inside of this thing. Leads to a legalism. A strict observance of the rules or a new set of rules that we get to establish ourselves, right? Because if we're building the fortress, we get to decide what the rules are. So we can establish it however we want. This new set of rules that you have to create. And it ultimately leads to the same emptiness. Hiding. Hatred. Fear. This never-ending need to always build new walls to protect the fortress. Because there's always a new attack, so we always have to build a new wall. Anything new happening in culture, we have to guard against it. Not by clinging to the scriptures, but by building new rules and culture to reject people and ideas. Paul has a better way for us, friends. We don't have to deny the reality of hard questions that come because of the culture or our experience of pain or any of those things. We don't have to deny that. We don't have to build a fortress and we don't have to lose our faith. We can hold up the shield of faith. Ephesians 6, 16. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. This word for stop the fiery arrows in the Greek is actually like more like quench the fiery arrows. So like a shield, right? If an arrow is shot at a shield, it can stop it. But if the arrow's on fire, what Paul is saying is that our faith would not only stop the shield, but actually quench the fire. It's a stronger determination, right? It will actually put out the fire and stop the arrow. This shield of faith can hold up to it. Well, what is this shield of faith for? What's faith in Jesus, right? We need to make sure that we understand that, right, the temptation to deconstruct our faith And the temptation to build new walls around, uh, uh, build a new fundamentalism, right? Both of those temptations move us away from the person of Jesus. We need to have faith in Jesus. We need to cling to Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures, as he's believed on by the church, as he's attested to by miracles, chiefly the resurrection, and as he is confirmed by the Holy Spirit in your hearts. This faith in Jesus is not just a head knowledge about Jesus, right? Like knowing who he is, but a deep trust and abiding in Jesus, a banking your eternity on the person of Jesus, a leaning into Jesus in in, in spite of everything else. This is encountered by Jesus in the word of God and the Holy Spirit giving faith and new life as the word is proclaimed. Now, what would this faith look like? Because that sounds great, right? You might be in this place of like, okay, I don't want to be building a fortress, right? I don't want to build a fortress. I want us to engage in the world. I want us to, like, this isn't going to work. And maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you've been a part of something uh, in, in your childhood where you were a part of a church that, that always was building a new fortress, right? And you've been burned by that. And your temptation then is to run to deconstruction. But you're like, wait, this isn't quite working either. 
this faith thing sounds great, but I don't know what it looks like, and it sounds really hard. Well, that's, that's true. It is really hard. What it looks like, though, is first and foremost being honest. Being honest with ourselves and with our own doubts. Holding up the shield of faith is not saying, I have all the faith. No, that's why you're holding up the shield of faith, right? It's not you, it's the thing that you have faith in. Meaning it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. To, to, to say it's not okay to have doubts is just to deny that they exist. They're already there. You might as well acknowledge that they're there. Now, what do we do with them? That's another question. But let's not try and hide the fact that we have doubts about things. It's okay to be honest about that. It's okay to be honest about history, honest about science, honest about our own limitations, honest about how there are very real challenges to faith. That's okay to be honest about. It should also lead us to a humble view of ourself. Remember, the shield of faith is not a a proud shield of mockery of the doubts of others or a dismissive shield of certainty, ignoring the pain of others. No, it's the shield of faith. What faith looks like is a deconstruction of the empty religion of fundamentalism and a deconstruction of the empty cultural religion of Instagram, or whatever it is, right? It's a deconstruction of both of those things. A deconstructing of the melding of America and Christianity, of white Jesus, or celebrity Christianity, or cultural Christianity, a deconstruction of our secular culture and Instagram religion, all of that is a part of real genuine faith, right? Experiencing the world and then understanding, hey, how does this fit with the Jesus I see in the scriptures? And if it doesn't fit with the Jesus I see in the scriptures, then let's let that fall away and let's cling to the Jesus of the scriptures. Which leads us to a courage in the face of fearful things. Leads us to a love for the broken because we see in broken people ourselves as broken people. It gives us a love and a commitment for the church, for the word of God, for the people of God, for communion with God in the Lord's Supper, for worship of God. All of this, we're holding firm to all of this because Jesus teaches us about it because we're holding firm to the person of Jesus. And that means we come to this place, to the church, with a commitment to her good. The church is a broken place. This church is a broken place. That's true because we're broken people. It's also the most beautiful thing on the planet. Right? If we want to hold on to Jesus but disregard the church... Try walking up to a husband and telling him, you know, I really don't like your bride. That probably isn't going to go very well, right? Jesus loves his bride. And we ought to, too. To love Jesus means we got to love his bride, the church. Now, because we love the church, that means we critique the church. We call out the church, right? I mean, goodness, read the prophets. Who do they call out all the time? They're not yelling at the nations. Only a couple of prophets yell at the nations. Most of the prophets are like, guys, what is wrong with you? What are we doing? It's okay to critique the church, right? 
but to do so in love with the hope of redemption and to do so from the inside saying, hey guys, look at us. We need to look at us. We need to be honest about us, right? And with the hope of redemption because Jesus is doing a glorious thing. Because Jesus is taking broken people and making them whole. Because Jesus is taking broken things in the world and restoring them to newness of life. Because Jesus is taking broken, sinful people and allowing them to lay down their sinful habits and addictions and to pursue godliness and to radically sacrifice for the sake of others because Jesus is making a beautiful thing. And we want to be committed to that beautiful thing. But many of us, still in the face of that, say, sounds good, but I'm tired. I'm kind of tired of believing that the church is going to get any better. I'm kind of tired of believing that this thing is actually worth it. And in the face of that, you know what we do? One of my favorite passages in Scripture. Again, I say that every week. It's fine. Mark 9, 24. Jesus is uh, uh, traveling, right? And his disciples are trying to cast out a demon from someone, uh, from a, a, a boy. And the father is like, Jesus engages in this conversation with the Father, and he says, if you can do this, please do. And Jesus says, if I can, you need to believe. And he says, the Father cries out instantly, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That is a prayer that Jesus loves to hear and loves to answer. It is not lesser as a Christian to pray this prayer. God, I believe But help me, because I'm struggling. I believe that you are good and faithful, but I'm struggling because I look at my life and it doesn't look good. Because I look inside and I struggle with so many things. And then I get on my phone and all I do is either distract myself or see more problems. I'm struggling. I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. That's what the shield of faith looks like. That's what Paul means when he says, pick up the shield of faith. He says, tell the Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what I'm doing. I'm picking it up. Doesn't mean I'm certain. Doesn't mean I've got it all together. It means I'm picking up the shield. I'm clinging to Jesus. I'm hanging on to Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, there's this thing called the hall of faith. Where it just talks about all these Old Testament characters, and it says all of these ways these individuals throughout God's redemptive history have clung to faith. And it goes through them, and it says, by faith they did this, by faith they did that, by faith they did this. And it's easy to think about that and be like, man, those are our heroes, and I want to have the faith like them. But do you know the whole story? You know, Abraham's mentioned in there. Do you think Abraham ever doubted? He doubted all the time. God's like, hey, this is the promised land. Go there, and I'll take care of you. And he's like, okay, we're going to go down to Egypt for a while. And then as soon as he gets there, right, God has promised, I'm going to take care of you. And he's like, so Sarah, tell everyone you're my sister, because I think they're going to kill me. And he just throws her, throws her out there. It's like, that is sinful doubting and also sinful abandonment of your wife. Like, what? Dude. And it's like, hey, wait a second. Maybe Abraham can be my hero because I screw up stuff like that all the time, right? Because I don't have it all together. 
Sarah then is said to have by faith done these things. When God comes to her and says, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby, she laughs at him. It's probably not a good idea when God tells you something to laugh at his face, right? Right? Isaac is named laughter because of Sarah's doubting, right? And laughter. And yet, what does God do? Does he rebuke her? Does he like destroy her in an instant? No. He is faithful to his promise. Moses, it's by faith Moses did this. By faith Moses did that. You know when God first came to Moses, you know what he said? Send someone else. Moses was in the wilderness. God showed up in a burning bush, a bush that was burning but not consumed, and said, hey, go do this. And he was like, yeah, no thanks. It's like, how much more clear do you need that God's going to protect you? He's got a bush on fire that's not being consumed. Like, I think he can handle it. And he still doubts. And after the exodus, Moses still doubts. They've seen, God's people have seen so many incredible things. And you know what they do? They're like, well, we're not so sure. We doubt. By faith does not mean without doubt. By faith does not mean perfect certainty, having it all together. No, it means I believe, help my unbelief. Hebrews 11 finishes this way. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. I love that the author to Hebrews talks about all these incredible things that happen by faith. And then he talks about the other side of faith. But others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed by the sore. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. The author to Hebrews says this, the circumstances of your life do not determine whether you've been successful or not. What it looks like to be strong and courageous and hold the shield of faith might look like wandering in the desert might look like running away. It might look like some terrible experience. It might look like victory. It might look like good things. And it might look like defeat. Honesty about our doubts is faith. Coming to Jesus with them is faith. Coming to the church with them. Coming here vulnerable, not worrying about what the latest Instagram influencer tells you that you should believe, but coming here with them, coming to the word with them, coming to be encouraged, 
to hold up the shield of faith in the face of the brokenness of this world. How could we possibly do that? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us how. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. The way to hold on to the shield of faith is not to fix your eyes on the circumstances that you experience, not to fix your eyes on all the brokenness of the world, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. To fix your eyes on Jesus, the crucified king who went to a cross for you, who suffered greatly so that you could be made whole, who endured all of the fiery arrows of Satan in your place, who was despised and rejected, who was crucified, bearing the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. Look to Jesus by faith. Whatever the brokenness of the world, whatever the brokenness of the church, whatever you experience, we need to remind ourselves to come back to the person of Jesus. Because although the world and the church even will fail you, Jesus will never fail you. He will never disregard you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He loves you eternally. Come and experience peace at the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy to us. Lord, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You are good to us. You are faithful. And Lord, we struggle to believe that. We struggle to know what it means to follow you. We struggle in the midst of all of the difficulties of this world. And so, Lord, we believe, but we ask that you would help our unbelief. We believe, Lord, and we ask that you would come near to us and help our unbelief. Lord Jesus, would you be gracious? Would you come and meet with us, your people? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, We're going to go straight into the Lord's Supper.